Hello, and welcome back to Esoterica. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of uh, interviewing Mitchell Osak. Mitchell is a uh, cannabis and psychedelic expert. Uh, he's a recognized advisory leader, a board member, and very involved in the Canadian and global cannabis and psychedelic industry. Um, Mitchell, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Great to be here, Leah. Thank you. And so, I, I mean, psychedelics has been something that's fascinated me for a while. Uh, we're here right now in Canada, in Ontario, where um, where it's where marijuana has been legalized for some time. And I, God, I think I don't know if I can walk one block without seeing at least three, uh, three uh, marijuana cannabis shops. Uh, they seem to all kind of look the same. Uh, I've been into many of them. Uh, so I'm very curious how the psychedelic industry is going to take off in light of where the cannabis industry has been going here in Canada and, and globally. So Mitchell, thank you. And, and, and tell me a little bit about uh, your background. Okay, well, it's as I said, it's great to be here, Leah, um, and thank you for hosting me. So, my background is um, I'm originally a consumer packaged goods marketer. I worked uh, at Procter and Gamble, where I basically cut my, my my teeth on business strategy, branding, and so on. And through a variety of different iterations and and career changes, I ended up in the legal cannabis industry in 2016, um, where if you grew up where I grew up in North York, you, you couldn't help but realize cannabis was a massive industry, albeit illegal. Right. Um, but at that moment, the government was was mulling out loud about legalizing it from a adult use or recreational perspective. It had mm -hmm. already been legal from a medical cannabis perspective. And um, I saw the opportunity and I got some uh, a great chance to work with, at the time, 30 of the licensed producers in Canada. There are now hundreds, but at that moment, right. only 30, and they were the largest ones. So I jumped in with both feet as a consultant in both hands. And from that one project, I ended up working with over 130 different companies, both in Canada and globally. Um, many of those early cannabis pioneers have migrated or transitioned over to the psychedelics industry. So that's how I went from one highly regulated, albeit adult use business, mm -hmm. to a medicalized psychedelics industry. Right. Okay, so let's talk psychedelics because, I mean, there was such a learning curve in terms of learning about cannabis, uh, the different strains, the different. So when we talk about psychedelics, what are we, what, what drugs exactly are we talking about? Well, psychedelics is, a, is hundreds, if not thousands of different compounds, okay. molecules. Some are naturally occurring, like magic mushrooms, and some are synthetic, like let's say 2CB. Many have been consumed for thousands of years, and some of them were synthesized in a lab 50 years ago. Right. So psychedelics is a lot of things, but what the typical user or what the typical citizen would understand psychedelics to be are basically four drugs or five drugs. And they would be MDMA, which is also known as ecstasy, um, magic mushrooms, which is also known as psilocybin, um, LSD, which is known as acid and ayahuasca. So it's right. hard to say what's more popular and what has higher usage, but most psychedelics typically fall within those family of five products today. Okay. 
And I mean, oh, I, f- I forgot about ayahuasca because that seems to be also very trendy right now yeah. um, in terms of, you know, self-discovery and, and, uh, and other uh, uses. So um, is, there, is there one of the drugs you think that will kind of flow to the surface as like the psychedelic or do you think it's, it's a future of multiple different psychedelics? You know, that's an amazing question. So I, um, I'm inferring from, from your question that you're talking about what will become legal. Right. Yes. And, and, and that's important because they're all being used in various forms right. at various times around the world. So mm-hmm. much like cannabis was, um, it was a massive industry. It just wasn't legal. Psychedelics is very similar. Right. So if I had to place bets today, and there's still a lot of uncertainty, and certainly, you know, COVID hasn't helped either. Mm-hmm. I would say that legalization of a psychedelic will be led by one of two um, substances. And one of them is psilocybin, and mm-hmm. one of them is MDMA. And, okay. I say, and I say that because the US FDA has granted breakthrough uh, research status to both those drugs. Um, no, sorry both those compounds. We don't know what drugs they will be and what other therapeutic services will be offered around that. But those are the two that we'll likely see first. Mm -hmm. And I think your follow-on question would probably be, when will that happen? You know, will it happen? (laughs) I I, I get this question every day. Yeah. Um, The optimists will say by the end of 2022, I don't believe that. Although soon, yeah. Although there is a lot of compelling evidence and reason to do it, I'm thinking sometime in 2023, you'll see those two substances come out in some form and Health Canada will follow very quickly after that. Mm-hmm. What you have in Canada now is the ability for very sick people, often in palliative care, to apply for a Health Canada exemption. Mm-hmm treated with psilocybin. So we have roughly, I think, about 50 patients, if not a little bit more, who are now taking legal psilocybin for end-of-life care, chronic pain, and so on and so forth. But when we're talking about a mass market with something available in a pharmacy, 2023. Wow. Okay. Well, that's actually pretty soon. And and so, so let's talk about psilocybin or mushrooms. Um, let's say, you know, that's what, what would that look like? I mean, in 2023, 2024, I mean, do you think we'll be going to, will they be selling at weed at, sorry, I should say weed stores, uh, you know, at, uh, cannabis stores, um, will they, will they be at drug stores? Will it be, will they be for only for medicinal use or for pleasure? I mean, how, how will people be using it? You know, that's a great question. And um, it's a great question because there are competing forces uh, within the um, psychedelics community, as well as the potential industry, about what the use cases will be, and what the delivery model will be, like, how will we get it in what form? Right. If, if you're asking me as a, as a sort of middle-aged uh, person that spent a lot of time in the pharmaceutical industry, as well as working with governments, and, and big consumer goods firms, I, I come down in favor of the big pharma corporate model mm-hmm. because that's the safest, it's the most tested, and it's what the government trusts with stigmatized type of product that do carry potential risks. Mm-hmm. So what do I foresee, let's say psilocybin being legalized as? I see it legalized as a medicine. Mm-hmm. I see that medicine being created by a true pharmaceutical company. I see that product being highly regulated, dispensed through pharmacies 
and prescribed by real doctors who are trained in psychedelic medicine. I don't foresee a recreational or an adult use policy framework in the near future that can accommodate this in North America. Maybe in the Caribbean or in Europe is a different story, but in North America, I highly doubt it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, and how about, let's, let's just maybe explore the idea of some of the other compounds you mentioned. Uh, can you see them coming into the more of the public arena or how will they be used? Can you see any of the other ones, the other four big ones you mentioned? Yeah, I, I mean, I can add another 14 to the floor. So, right. you know, what's amazing about psychedelics is are their power to help us from a mental health, from an addiction perspective, across a wide range of, of indications and therapeutic areas right around the world. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about psilocybin, that's targeted mainly at things like depression and anxiety and PTSD and so on and so forth. Yes, that'll be the first, but it won't be the only one. So right. you'll have compounds like Ibogaine, for example, that will be used in addiction. You'll have uh, like compounds like 2CB that could be used to, to help women through their hormonal cycles cope with PMS and menopause. Mm-hmm. Only different use case than anxiety and trauma and so on. So it's hard to say what all of the psychedelics will be used for and when they will be used, what we're all waiting for with bated breath is the result of a lot of clinical trials that are currently underway right now that will give us, you know, the the key use case or the great amount of evidence that'll be able to show psychedelics for ADHD or psychedelics for sexual dysfunction or psychedelics for PTSD. We really don't know. Mm -hmm. If you want to look at it from a patient perspective, which is a really you know, fun, fundamental way of looking at it, you mm-hmm. know, where do we have the biggest problems? I would say in things like trauma, PTSD among our male and female veterans from Afghanistan, Iraq, and so on. These are people who are absolutely suffering. And the greatest need is probably among them. And also mm-hmm. the greatest cost in terms of healthcare and, and a variety of other things. So it's really hard to say whether it'll be clinical and regulatory driven and that'll tell us what products we have or will there mm-hmm. be a massive push among user groups to get certain compounds and certain drugs regulated and legalized first mm. uh, so uh, i mean i i i know we discussed before the show um a couple of use cases so let's talk about um psychedelics and women's health Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you you are familiar with a use case in which says psilocybin is being used for uh, PMS and I, I think a slew of other you know women's health issues. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, that's that's a great one. Um, I'm part of a company that is researching a a small and but highly promising uh, synthetic compound. It's called 2CB. And don't ask me, please, to explain what that is. But suffice <laughs> to say, it was invented in a lab in the United States in the mid-70s by one of the preeminent, preeminent psychedelic researchers, uh, Professor Shulgin. And what 2CB was found to, to do was mm-hmm. to have very different effects on women than on men. And mm-hmm. for, for those of you who are wondering, what is 2CB? 2CB is a hybrid of LSD and MDMA. Okay. So it has the best um, pharmaceutical profile of each of those two compounds without the negatives. So mm-hmm. it has the advantages of 
LSD without the tripping. Okay. And it has advantages of MDMA or ecstasy without the potential toxicity. What early research has discovered is that 2CB helps women in a very different way than it helps men. So our company is researching mm-hmm. using 2CB to help women who are undergoing um, low to moderate grade depression and anxiety, all mental health conditions during PMS and at the onset of menopause. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing about 2CB is it gives gynecologists an ability to treat their patients for mental health concerns without prescribing opiates. Right. And opiates that we all know have, you know, bad side effects, generally have, you know, efficacy levels below 20% and are extremely expensive and extremely addictive. So 2CB has the promise Mm -hmm. of of getting a lot of women off of opiates. Right. Doctors a tool to help women instead of sending them to psychiatrists. Right. Back to their family doctor and helping them cope with both their physical manifestations of their hormonal structure as well as the mental health conditions. And if they were able to do that, we're going to help half the world's population, which is a pretty exciting thing. For that me. is exciting. And actually, it's very exciting when I hear about medical developments that are focused specifically on women. So I'm not sure how, you know, uh, that's probably a, a chat for a, a different um, a different show, but, mm-hmm. you know, how much the medical community actually focuses on women's needs versus, you know, men's needs. It's, it's a huge whole, gap. So it's a, yeah, I think I agree. Um, so you, you touched on something that was fascinating to me, uh, cause we didn't really just discuss this, but, uh, in terms of opiates, obviously there's a, there's a major addiction issue. And of course we are going, we there's an opiate crisis right now. Yes, what, what is, what are the, um, ad, is our, our psychedelics addictive? Can they be addictive? Like is the, I mean, there's always, they're outlawed for a reason, likely because of the fear of addiction, I'm guessing. What's, among other things, among other things. So, was, yeah, uh, if you can maybe touch on that. You, what's what's the fear there? What is the big fear? Uh, with psychedelics? Yeah. Um, I would say it's mostly the fear of unknown. Yeah. There is zero risk, uh, certainly zero physical risk to getting addicted to any psychedelics whatsoever. Huh. There are risks around, you know, having bad trips or trips that last too long. There are risks around... <laughs> You know, your body builds up a, uh, a tolerance, so you have to take more uh, uh, of these compounds and so on. In cases like MDMA, there are risks around toxicity, very limited and very rare, but yeah. they do exist. Yeah, yeah. Because of that, and because of the social cultural mores of the 60s and 70s, these products, mm-hmm. which had amazing potential, and you know, when you talk about 2CB, which I mentioned a few minutes ago and, and the early promise of that, they were all swept up in a, an American war on drugs. And mm-hmm. once that happened, Canada followed suit and Europe follows suit and so on and so forth. Right. The reality is if you look at cannabis versus psychedelics, when, when the products are properly consumed, psychedelics are much better huh. from an addiction perspective than cannabis is. And really? cannabis is a pretty benign huh substance and if you compare cannabis and psychedelics to alcohol right it's it's night and day right right that's actually interesting i i've always said that i mean you know alcohol is so normalized and actually 
it's actually so normalized among women. Again, a, a topic for another show right. that, um, you know, and, and so dangerous at the same time. And we, it's, we, we consider it benign, almost a, a joke, uh, but, you know, not so much a joke <laughs> at all times. Uh, so that's fascinating. Okay, uh, the last point I'd like to ask you about is, is ayahuasca, um, because you mentioned it and I'd forgotten about it. Uh, uh, what is the deal with ayahuasca? ayahuasca is one of those ancient substances that's becoming part of our zeitgeist right now. So mm -hmm. ayahuasca is a, is a very old plant that grows, I think around the world, but it's very prevalent in South America, particularly in the Amazon rainforest and so on. And ayahuasca has been used by indigenous communities for thousands of years right. and have been rediscovered by new age folks uh, in the last 10, 15 years in North America, I would say yuppies and boomers with mm -hmm. a lot of money who are looking for, uh, you know, a certain amount of meeting and so on. So what you've seen is the emergence of ayahuasca clinics mm -hmm. in different places like Ecuador and Peru, where North Americans and even local, local consumers will go and in conjunction with shamans, right. um, you will undergo a series of, uh, how do I say this? Uh, consumption rituals and so on, and just become more in tune with themselves, with nature, and you know, hopefully, become a much better person. So, ayahuasca is one of the ways that psychedelics are currently being used by many mm -hmm. North Americans to get in better to get in better touch with their consciousness as well as nature. So you have a I don't even want to say it's a cottage industry anymore. It right. is a burgeoning nascent industry of people going down and having ayahuasca based clinics in different places in South America, as well as North American therapists going down and learning from these shamans hmm. in terms of how to use these products and how to, you know, perform different kinds of therapies. That's fascinating. I, I, I've been hearing about it a lot and it's, seems new and exciting and scary. And I, actually, I, I would like to talk about the, this, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, growing up as, you know, you and I did where there was a, you know, there was a certain amount of fear around drugs, or at least we were taught to fear a lot of drugs. Um, I, I'm just curious, and uh, how, I mean, we both have, we both have children, maybe around roughly the same age. How do you talk to them about drugs now? I mean, now that, now that, cannabis is legalized i mean psychedelics may be legalized but is there is, is there still a conversation to be had uh, absolutely and it's an essential conversation because you know there's stigma around these these products i, I i'll tell you i don't consume them i grew up right. in the culture uh, many of my friends uh, both male and female microdose like i'm surrounded by this all the time both on the illegal side as well as on the legal side mm -hmm. um I'm a very liberal person when it comes to stuff like this. So, you know, I'd rather my children and your children hear about it in a responsible way with real science and real medicine from someone like myself and you and your terrific program than learning about it on the street. Mm -hmm. so there are things um, in some cases to be feared and concerned about as a parent, mm -hmm. but there are also things that could be embraced. Right. And if you look at the incidence of mental illness now, um, um, COVID-induced depression among the Gen Z community is way higher than it is around our community and older people and so on. There is a mental health crisis out there. And I'm afraid our children and the, their friends and peers will be turning to solutions 
And mm-hmm. I think psychedelics and even to a certain extent, medical cannabis is one of those solutions. Right. And these products can be taken in a responsible way in controlled circumstances and can really help people. So I talk to my kids all the time about legal and illegal drugs. Right. My daughter goes to a, a fancy schmancy private school in Midtown Toronto. Right. I implore her to get her to come to let me come in and talk to the students about it, you know, partly tongue in cheek, but partly yeah. to give them a sense of, you know, what is this world? Where are we going? And most importantly, what isn't and right? The problem, I'll just, you know, finish off with this. The problem I see is, you know, there are trendy things. You talked about ayahuasca, very trendy, but even microdosing among the middle class community that I live in, a lot of men, a lot of women are microdosing. It's happening a lot in on Wall Street and Silicon Valley. You know, if people are going to do that, they should do it responsibly with knowledge. And, right. and what does that really mean as opposed to, you know, going to the Internet and reading garbage off? Right. That's uh, well, wise words. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. And this has been really insightful. Thank you so much, Mitchell. Thank you. Be well. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.